0: It seems that no matter what area of life that you need some advice on, there's an expert for it. People trained to give you help in that area. We have midwives, we have doctors, we have skin specialists, we have dieticians, we have car mechanics, we have suspension specialists, we have tyre specialists, we have agronomists if you're a farmer, we have tennis coaches, we have golf pros, we have financial advisers, accountants, mortgage advisers. We have dog trainers, animal psychologists. We have someone to help you pick the color of the paint for your house. We have someone to help you find the right running shoe. The list goes on, there's an expert for everything. But if you wanted an expert on life, where would you go? Opera, Dr. Phil? If you wanted someone who really understood the world world, and to help you work out what life is all about, who would you turn to? Now before you say Jesus, Al's got it wrong. This morning we're beginning a five-week series on the book of Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is a book written by an expert on life. Al hasn't got it wrong, we'll get to the, the, the Jesus answer later, but Ecclesiastes is a book written by an expert on life to help us understand the big questions of life. So who's the expert? Who's the author of Ecclesiastes? Who could possibly be qualified to teach us about the meaning of life? We'll open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes tells us right up front, the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. And in case we missed it, we get it again down in verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now, there's only one person who lives up to that particular phrase, king over Israel in Jerusalem and being a son of David. It is King Solomon. Now, if anyone in the Bible was an expert on this world, it would have to be King Solomon. Just listen to what we know about King Solomon from 1 Kings chapter 4. You might want to write that and look it down and look it up later, 1 Kings chapter 4. But this is what the Bible tells us about King Solomon. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Did you get that? Solomon is incredibly wise. But it goes on Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the East, and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man. He's the wisest man on earth, in other words, including Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than he man, not our he man, an older he man. Wiser than Calcol and Dada, the sons of Mahol, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. Now, look, I have no idea who those other guys are, but the point is King Solomon is very wise. And it goes on. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. Did you get that? 1,005 songs. That is three times as many songs as the Beatles four times as many songs as you two. He has written a 1,005 songs. He described plant life, from the cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Now, do you get the point? King Solomon is, it seems, an expert on everything. Plants, animals, wisdom, songwriting, proverbs, life. If he was alive today, he'd be on better homes and gardens, he'd be on Rock Quiz, he'd be on the zoo, everyone would be after him. In fact, that's what happens, verse 34 of 1 Kings 4, men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. And King Solomon, in his wisdom, was a bit of a writer. So Proverbs is Solomon's book about wisdom. Song of Songs is Solomon's book about sex. Ecclesiastes, the one that we're looking at today, is Solomon's book about the meaning of life. It was written 900 years before Jesus. It was written to the nation of Israel about life. And what does King Solomon say? Well, he was a wise man. He doesn't leave us waiting till the end of the book. It's not like we have to go to the end of the book to find out what he thinks. He tells us right at the start his main idea. Chapter 1, verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And just in case you're interested, that is exactly how the book ends. Uh, The last words of Solomon in the book before the the conclusion in chapter 12, verse 8. Solomon doesn't change his mind as the book goes on. Listen to chapter 12, verse 8. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Now notice what King Solomon doesn't say. He doesn't say, some things in life are meaningless. Now, we would all agree that there's some things in life that don't make sense, some things that we can't work out, some things that don't seem to make sense. But King Solomon says, nothing makes sense, everything is meaningless. Now, he's going, he doesn't want us just to accept that. He's going to go on in the book of Ecclesiastes to prove that to us. But in chapter 1, he gives us two reasons for his conclusion, two reasons why everything in life is meaningless. And the first one is in verses 3 to 11. And it's simply this, that compared to the rest of the world, our lives are so temporary. Verse 3. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come, and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north, north round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome more than one can say. The eye has never had enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Now, we're going to kind of flesh out the details of that over the coming weeks. But for now, I just want you to see that Ecclesiastes is contrasting the bigness of this world and the cycles in this creation and the the seemingly ongoing nature of it with our small, short lives. Look at the sun. It rises, it sets, it rises, it sets 365 times a year. Since King Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, the sun has risen and set 1,073,000 times, give or take a few thousand. The water, it flows round and round. We just had a flood in Dubbo, didn't we? Where does all that water go? It goes down the river into the sea. It evaporates into a cloud. It falls again, round and round. How many times has that water gone round? And these seemingly endless, monotonous cycles of nature that go on and on ever since the creation of the world, what are our lives compared to that? Generations come, generations go. We're just a breath. We're just a mist, like breathing out on a cold day. You can see the vapour and then it's gone. We're here for how long? 70, 80, 90 years? That is nothing. Our lives are just a little blip on the radar, and then we're gone. There's currently 6 billion people in the world. In a 100 years, all those 6 million people will be dead. 6 billion, sorry. And there'll be a completely new 6 billion people in the world. And of all those 6 billion people, how many will be remembered? Do you think you, you will be? Sure, you might, your children might remember you. Your grandchildren, maybe. But your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, they're not even going to know who you were. I mean, most of us can remember our parents. We probably know a reasonable amount about our grandparents, although how much you know about all four of them. What about your great-grandparents and all eight of them? How many of your great-great-grandparents do you know? Do you know anything about them? We think we're so important, but really, who's going to remember you in a hundred years? Let alone a thousand years. Verse 11 there is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. So that is the first reason that King Solomon says our lives are meaningless. It's as if they are so short. ...and so small compared with this big world that we live in. Now have a listen to this. This is Philip Adams, an atheist. He was writing in the Sydney Morning Herald. He says, first of all, I believe, I know, that we live on a minor planet... ...in an off-Broadway solar system on the edge of the Milky Way... ...and that in the final analysis... We are as significant as the eight-billionth grain of sand beyond the final palm tree in the most distant oasis in the Sahara. Therefore, this is Philip Adams, an atheist, I believe and have always believed that life is totally meaningless and that we have no destiny, no purpose, no author. We just are, for a little while anyway. Then we aren't. Now do you find that a little strange, that the Bible and an atheist should come to the same conclusion about life? That is because Ecclesiastes is looking at life under the sun. Have a look back at Ecclesiastes 1 verse 3. What does a man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Now that little phrase, under the sun, is repeated all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes 29 times. Look down at verse 9. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. 1 verse 14. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, are chasing after the wind. Chapter 2 verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. Chapter 2, verse 22. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? Chapter 4, verse 1. Again I looked and I saw the oppression that was taking place under the sun. On it goes. You see the point in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is setting out to observe life Under the sun, in other words, life in this world. I think what he means is life as we can observe it, life as we just look out, not life according to what the Bible says, not life according to what God tells us, life as we can observe it under the sun. What can we work out about the purpose of life on this planet? Now That's important because King Solomon will make some observations that may seem a bit strange to us. That's because he's talking about life under the sun and I think that's what makes Ecclesiastes such an interesting book. It is asking questions that arise out of everyday life but that we don't often ask. We're so busy getting on with life that we don't stop and ask what life is about. It's as if we're on a train going flat out at full speed but no one's bothered to stop and ask where the train is going. And Ecclesiastes tackles all of those questions head on just by observing the world. And I think at that point Ecclesiastes is a great book uh, to help you think about how to talk to people who are not Christians because it's talking about questions that arise just out of everyday life. So what can we work out? from observing the world. Well, we can work out that life is temporary. We're here and then we're not. Even an atheist can work that out. King Solomon takes it a little bit further than Philip Adams though. There's a second thing that King Solomon observes about the world that makes life meaningless. If it was just that our lives were short, that might be okay. But in verse 12 of chapter 1, we hit a bigger problem with the world. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Under heaven, under the sun, those are kind of used interchangeably. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, are chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. See, King Solomon II's observation about the world is that there is something wrong with this world. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. As the teacher looks out on this world and observes life under the sun, he notices that something is wrong and it can't be fixed. This world is like a stick with a twist or a kink or a bend in it. You look at it and you can see that it's twisted. You can even imagine what it would look like if it was straight, but you can't straighten it. It's a bit like a CD with a scratch in it. You put it in your CD player, you press play and it sounds really good. But then halfway through there's a scratch and it gets stuck. And you know that it's not quite right, it's kinda going dirt, dirt, dirt. And you can even kind of hear what it should be. But you can't fix it. Now, as we look at this world, we know there's something wrong. We can see there's a problem with it. We can almost imagine what it would look like if it was fixed. Because there's so much good in this world, isn't there? Beautiful sunset, a walk in the forest, the joy that comes from a good relationship, good times with family, a good marriage. Imagine if life was all that good. How good would that be? The Bible affirms that beauty. It says the world is beautiful because there's a God behind it who made it that way for us. But at every point of beauty, there is a reminder of the twistedness of this world. Sure, nature can be beautiful, but devastating. We just had massive floods through Dubbo. Sure, weddings and marriage can be beautiful, but... Breakups and divorces are bitter and painful. And the people that we love, we can hurt the most. And 12 years ago when our first son Ben was born, just two floors up in the intensive care unit, we just had to visit for a brief time. There were babies whose lungs hadn't developed. There were parents waiting to see the extent of the brain damage of their child. There were babies dying. This world is so beautiful, yet at every point of beauty, it's twisted. Verse 15, what is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. And King Solomon says that's why it is such a burden trying to understand this world. Verse 13, I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven, What a heavy burden God has laid on men. The more we work out about the world, the more painful that it becomes. You might know Tim Costello. He's the CEO of World Vision, uh, helping people in all sorts of um, horrible situations. He has been to lots of countries and seen a lot of suffering in the world. And listen to what he says about it. This is Tim Costello. He says he's seen people who have seen loved ones killed, they'd been raped, their daughters had been raped. Humans who are capable of such good are capable of such unspeakable evil. And this is Tim Costello speaking. It takes an enormous toll on you. I find myself sometimes giving a speech, and it's not a sad speech, but literally, without warning, I'll be in tears. And you realise that you've built a compartment a bubble around all the pain that you've seen. But that bubble sometimes leaks. It hemorrhages. And you carry those things with you. You know, that doesn't change. Now, King Solomon is describing that pain. The pain of seeing the world as it is. Verse 16, I thought to myself, look, I've grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. See, the more King Solomon observes the world in his wisdom, the more depressing it becomes. Not only is it hard finding out about our world, in the end, King Solomon says, we can't understand it fully. Verse 17, I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and of madness and of folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. Trying to get your head around this world and understand it, it's like chasing the wind. You simply can't do that. You can't catch it. I think that's why the book of Ecclesiastes is such a frustrating book to read. And if if you have a chance, sit down and read it through in the next few weeks. It's because it is trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. And you can't make sense of something that doesn't make sense. That's King Solomon's conclusion. He can work out that there's something wrong with this world, but he can't fix it. And that was King Solomon, the wisdom specialist, the wisest, wisest man on earth. What hope do we have of working it out? Well, let's turn to another expert on wisdom. In Luke 11, 31, it says, one greater than Solomon is here. It's talking about Jesus. And the big difference between Jesus and King Solomon is that while Solomon could only describe the problem with the world, Jesus can fix it. And Jesus does what Solomon could never do. Jesus can straighten what has been twisted. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has defeated sin, the cause of the brokenness in this world. And there is a day coming when Jesus will free his people from this creation into one that is not crooked. Now, that doesn't straighten out creation now, but it does mean that in the meantime, the purpose of this twisted world is to point us to Jesus and I think that's the lesson from Ecclesiastes for us people will not appreciate Jesus unless they realise there's a problem with the world and Ecclesiastes helps us to see that problem C.S. Lewis said pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world that's what Ecclesiastes is now sadly many people go through life ignoring all the warning lights on the dashboard pretending everything is okay. And most of the time don't we we just get up we do whatever it is that we do and we go to bed. And we don't think about the big questions of life. But every now and then something comes along which shakes us up a bit. Every now and then something comes along which forces us to ask big questions. Maybe your parents split up. Close friend dies. Your partner leaves you. You get some terrible news. And it is at those times that the pain of this world becomes so real, you can't ignore it. And it doesn't matter how well we think we've got life worked out, there will always be something that can come along and rock the boat. Ecclesiastes wants to rock the boat for us before those things happen. Ecclesiastes takes us by the collar, shoves us against the wall and says... Take a look around you. There's a problem with this life. The world does not make sense. And when Ecclesiastes does that, it prepares us for Jesus, who says, come to me. I have the answer. One greater than Solomon is here. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And as we read the words of Jesus, he brings meaning to life. And he's able to navigate us through the difficulties of life into eternal life. So why is a book like Ecclesiastes in the Bible? Well, like the rest of the Old Testament, it is there to point us to Jesus. And you won't appreciate the meaning that Jesus brings until you realise that life without him is meaningless and that's the journey that we're going to be on over the next five weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book that will show us the right questions to ask about this world, questions that will lead us straight to God's answer, Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the introduction that we've had this morning to this interesting and strange book of Ecclesiastes. Father, thank you that your word is truth. And thank you that the book of Ecclesiastes tells us true things, yet hard things about this world. And we pray that as we read Ecclesiastes this week, as we think about Ecclesiastes over the month of January, that it would really just strip us of any ideas that we can find significance and meaning in in the the things around us in this world. And we pray that it might help us appreciate Jesus all the more and the meaning that he brings and the permanence that he brings. We pray that we might help us to just understand afresh the gift of eternal life. Father, we pray that as we chat to people this week, we might be good at being real with them about life. Not covering over life's problems, but engaging with people and talking about them and thinking about them. And We pray that we would be people who are wise about life. But Most of all, Father, we pray that you'd help us to appreciate Jesus more. And thank you that through him you you do bring meaning. We pray these things in his name. Amen.